You, the listener, sent in some good questions and topics for conversation. We'll get into those, but I want to start here. This audience, I as well, I want to be someone who reminds people that this election isn't the end of the world. We'll start there on the Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening here with me. It certainly wasn't the only theme of the Democratic National Convention, but it was one of the themes, and that is this that we are voting for our lives. That was actually said by several people. Barack Obama in particular said it in a very dire way, that this outcome of, this, of what happens on November 3rd, 2020, it is an existential crisis. And we're not, as I'm talking to you, not totally through the Republican National Convention, but I can guarantee this, you know what they're all going to say? Uh, it's an existential crisis. We're voting for our lives. Vote like your life depends on it because it does. That's something that was said at the Democratic National Convention, and I'm sure something similar will be said of the Republican National Convention. And I want to have some empathy and sympathy for those that hear that and believe it. And then I want to make us a group of people that help folks not feel that kind of anxiety and panic over the outcome of an election. We'll start there in just a moment. My name is Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to us on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9 on Saturday mornings. Glad to have you with us. And also Saturday evenings. I should mention the show plays eight o'clock in primetime on Saturday night. So if you're out on the town, I would be honored to be your soundtrack on 91.9, 92.9 on a Saturday evening or on Saturday morning for that matter. And thank you for listening to the podcast, wherever it is that you do. I also get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets on Sunday morning at 1030 in Greenville, South Carolina. You are invited as we continue through this incredible series on the revelation of Jesus Christ. We would love to have you there. Let's get going. I think it's one of the reasons I started to diminish my interest in politics was because of my frustration of my that I had around my peers. There was frustration in how much people thought the outcome of an election really mattered for all eternity. It, it, it occurred to me that during 2004, I really thought life depended on George W. Bush beating John Kerry. I really thought that the outcome of a Barack Obama-John McCain election was something eternal and meaningful, and it, it took a lot of joy from me. It wasn't just, uh, it's not, this is also just not a strategy for me to be a happier person, but it was also idolatry. That is, in part, the definition of idolatry. Something that you give, the, you give something the power to define you. You give something the power to determine, to, to, to determine your joy or your sadness. And when people do that, it does make them miserable. You give someone the power over your happiness or sadness, and when that person doesn't give you their approval if that's a parent or a partner, a spouse, well, then you're crushed and you you can't recover. You give a sports team the power to give you joy or sadness, and then that sports team fails you, and then you lose your joy. You've, you've lost that. You give it to a political party or a political candidate, and then that one fails, and you feel the crisis. You feel the panic. And this is a burden that sits on some amount of our countrymen and countrywomen that I sure would love to help alleviate, and I hope you want to help me alleviate it with people in your own households, in your own churches, in your own friend groups. 
Because here's the reality, guys. There is some big chunk of your friends who think if Brock, excuse me, if Donald Trump wins re-election, it's the end of democracy. That's what Barack Obama said, basically. It's the end of the country if he wins again. And there is some chunk of you, you got friends that feel like if Joe Biden wins, it's the end of liberty, it's the end of freedom. The country will come to an end. And there were people that felt like that in 2016 about Trump and Hillary, and there were people who felt like that about Mitt Romney and Barack Obama in 2012. That was actually the most liberating moment for me was the day after the election in 2012. I was disappointed, but I had I'd been coming out of the idolatry of political outcomes that I was okay. I didn't feel the dread. I actually do remember fearing, feeling some fear the day after the election in 2008, knowing that the President of the United States hated America. He actually did hate America's ideals, its founding principles. Barack Obama hates the Constitution, the Declaration, and the, the foundations of the greatest nation on the history of this planet. And I was fearful. And it was a good feeling four years later to go, oh, well, this is not going to be fun, but yeah, we're fine. We'll be, here, we'll be here four years from now. And I want to be a people that helps people recognize... I want to say it right now with some boldness, and then I want to come back around to these conventions. If Donald Trump wins the election on November 3rd, everything's going to be fine. Four years later, there's going to be another election. The economy will continue on. In general, the bureaucracy, the federal government, and the state governments will continue to address COVID-19. There's still going to be some crime issues to take care of. We're, we're going to move on. There'll be some more judges nominated. There'll be a tax policy that you may or may not like. That's what's going to happen. And equally, listen, if Joe Biden wins, it's okay. Donald Trump will leave office. For those of you who are fearful, he won't do that. He will. He'll leave. He'll go to Florida or wherever it is he lives now. And Joe Biden will take the oath of office on January 20th, 2021. You'll get a, a tax increase. Some judges that aren't great will be put in place. That's probably all that's going to happen. You're maybe something on some kind of climate tax, some kind of carbon tax gets passed, and that's not good either. But then there'll be another election, and then we'll ebb and flow and ebb and flow. It's, that's the history of America. And it's okay. Feel that for a second. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And then share that with somebody. That for the Christian, for the believer, our hope, our joy, our stability is not found in the outcome of elections. I believe it is, oh, I'm blanking on the reference, but we do not put our trust in kings and horses or kings, princes and horses, I think this might might be what the verse says. Basically saying we don't put our our trust in who is running the government or who is, who is running the military, we don't put our trust in those things. It's a great time to fix our exilic theology, the theology of exile that I've given you so many times on the show. But it's good to reiterate these things. It's good to remember that we don't belong here. Whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden wins an election, doesn't matter. We still don't belong here either way. You should still feel not at home and work for the betterment of your country and work for the betterment of your city. 
and your your state and your uh, your community. Yep, you should do all that knowing that you are working from freedom, working from joy, that the Lord is sovereign, God is sovereign, no matter what happens, he's working his purpose, and you have freedom not to have anxiety and fear over it. You have freedom not to be angry over it. That's one of the emotions I see out there too. A lot of anger at the other side. I can't believe the way they are. I can't believe they believe what they do. And there's anger fear, there's anxiety. And I would love for us to be modeling to those around us when these conversations happen over the next three months, the way that we talk about it on social media, that we use the tone that's never the tone that these conventions give. These conventions are giving the tone that this is life and death. Vote like your life depends on it because it does. I think it was Billie Eilish at the Democratic National Convention that said, Vote like the planet depends on it. The planet, guys. Whoever is, that's what we've done to the presidency. The presidency is so omnipotent. The planet itself is dependent on who wins this office. And we can be people that say, no, the the planet is held by the hand of God. It is hung on nothing by the power of his word. And it's going to keep on spinning because... It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to Joe Biden or Donald Trump. So that's one. Number one, let's be a people of peacemaking, a people of calming the fears, the anxieties, and the angers of others the best we can by not taking part in the fears, the anxieties, and the angers of this world, but instead modeling confidence and faith. You know, that word confidence, you break it down, it's cone fide, cone meaning with, fide, faith. With confidence, with faith, we, we don't have those anxieties and fears. With faith, we don't have to take part in the anger. And that's part one. Now part two, uh, when we come back from a break, we'll take in a few minutes. I, I got a message from a listener. It wasn't particularly kind, but trying to make the point. Uh, because I said, I think last episode, maybe two episodes ago, I don't care who wins, like whoever, whoever wins this election, I don't care. And this person was making the point, oh, well, of course you should care because babies in the womb and because of Israel. I don't believe that part, by the way. Um, and because of, there was a couple other, oh yeah, um, sec, the Second Amendment, like you should care. Well, it, okay, I do, I do hear you. Well, what I, I guess what I should clarify to say is I... I have enough confidence in our institutions to know that they're, they're not going to take your guns. There's only marginal difference on abortion between Republicans and Democrats when it comes to policy. You can have a pro-life policy the best you can, but it, it doesn't actually change federal law unless Congress does something, unless the states do something. Honestly, on abortion... It matters who the president is because they do place judges into place. But it matters a lot more what's happening in states and what Congress might do. And so even on that, yeah, it matters, but it's not life and death. And so that's that's what I mean to say. But I, I also want to say to that listener, his name was Luke. I'm not stupid about what the left is. I know that... American leftism, not necessarily liberalism, because I want to have a distinction there. There is a distinction between liberalism in America, 
uh, which I probably would put in the category someone like, I don't know, I can't think of one right now because the those liberals have been pushed to the side, but maybe, maybe some of the um, more intellectual liberals, not necessarily politicians, but they think liberal things. They, they think high, higher taxes are better, that the rich should pay more. They'd like to see more uh, environmental regulation. Uh, they are pro-abortion. Like They're liberals, but they also believe in the freedom of speech. They, they don't think anyone should be shut down for what they think or believe. Like There's a difference between... Oh, they, they would oppose chaos in the streets that you're seeing. Um, they think there's they do think there's racial inequity, but they don't think the United States was literally birthed by racial inequity, like the idiocy of the 1619 project and all that. There's liberals out there, and then there's leftism, and I I don't want to paper over or diminish the threat that is leftism. Leftism will destroy the country if it's given power. It, it does have the ability to do that if it's given ultimate power. It's destructive and its ideas are evil. Uh, they, they will hurt people. And they're anti-biblical. Yeah, the, the ideology of the left at large is anti-biblical. And again, I'm giving that distinction between left and leftism and liberalism. And I, I don't, yeah, I don't, mind, I don't mind saying that. Let me be clear about some things. I, I, I think I gave Luke the impression that I'm, I'm getting muddy about principle and policy and all that. I'm not. Capitalism is still the greatest tool of the last... 200 and some odd years for human flourishing and those that would diminish capitalism through government control over any part of the economy or the raising of taxes is hurting people. They will hurt people through that. Capitalism is the answer for our education system to provide a competition to get us excellence. It is the, it is the, uh, the principle that will give us a better medical system instead of these, this gummed up negotiated system between insurance companies and hospital associations and government adjusters and Insurance commissioners, the stupid system that we've concocted. Yeah, uh, the, the conservative, small government, limited government principles would help address all of these things. America is at large good. It's got its stains. They are significant stains in its history through, uh, through racism, slavery, abortion, and what happened with Native Americans. Those in particular, the great sins of American history. But at large, it's, it is good. And leftism that says, no, to its core, America has been bad. No, they're wrong. They, they don't know their history. It's an ignorant point of view. And it will damage us. It'll hurt people if they take power in it. So I, I want to make that clear. The, the outcome of this election doesn't make or break things. And so that I want to be agents of peace and stability to diminish anger and anxiety around it. However, yeah, I know. I know there's damage the, the left will do if, if they are, are given power. The same way that there is a, a function of the right, or at least a section of the right, that if that particular section got power, there'd be some damage as well. Because, big theme of the show, and we'll take our first break. We're not from here. We don't neatly fit into any given earthly political ideology. When we come back, I will give you some listener questions and comments, and then we will move on to an experience I had with my two nephews in their new school. I want to tell you about it when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Thank you for being with us on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9, or on the podcast wherever you find it. I am grateful. You can also find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me. You will find me there. You can also... 
send messages and things to the show, comment on stuff with material as is needed. And in particular, this is a great example because we are going to go now to comments and questions from you, the listener, as I posted. So uh, let's start with a nameless one. I want to start with a nameless one for this reason. It's a little sensitive and I don't, I didn't get permission to say the person's name. And so I just want to leave it uh, out. Got a question from a new listener who is in a state, I can at least say that, in Washington State. And Washington State has a mandate on churches that if they're meeting, everyone must be in a mask, a face covering of some sort. So even the person speaking, even if the person speaking is very far away from everyone else up on a stage and uh, get doing, doing that sermon, nevertheless, that person is supposed to, to be wearing a mask. The listener says that the primary preacher, or at least a preacher in the church, pastor there, is refusing to follow that order and is preaching without a mask on Sunday morning. And he wanted to know my thoughts on that and whether that was a sin issue. Well, here's where I stand. And thank you, sir, for the question, and I am honored you listen. I said a couple weeks ago that the, the Christian follows the law all the way up until the point where the law would have us to sin. That is the model of First Peter, First uh, Romans, and I would say the book of Acts, including now, now that I'm learning more about the book of Revelation, also in the book of Revelation, how the Christian behaves in despotic or totalitarian governments, that there are places to rebel. That, that time exists. One even particular, like it's, it is sinful not to provide for your family. If you have any ability to do it, uh, go, go provide for your family. And if the government has made it to where, uh, because of your, uh, whatever reason you can't operate in this government because they, t- to be able to operate a business or get a job, you must affirm something that's sinful. Well, then the Christian has the, the biblical right to start its own, the Christians have the right to start their own black market, to subvert, to subvert the government so that they can have their own underground economy and still support themselves and their families. So th- there is space, there is room for rebellion against governments, but it's all, but we are good citizens all the way up to the moment that we are required to sin. I would say that the Washington mandate is stupid. What a dumb policy to require masks in churches. And in particular, how stupid to say someone who is way up on a stage, far away from others, must have a mask on. That's a stupid policy. Is it a sinful policy? Not that I can tell. If, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm willing to be corrected. You can write into the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. But I, I don't think it is a sinful order, and therefore, if I were preaching in Washington State right now, and the rule was I was supposed to wear a mask, I would wear a mask. Because that's what the government has said to do, and it's not worth rebelling over because it is not sin. And so, I don't want to be too hardcore on this pastor and say, you're living in sin, sir, for wearing your mask. But I would challenge him and say, I think the requirement of the Christian would be to put one on in this situation, even though the policy is dumb. It is still not sinful. Next, from Chris on Facebook, one of my thoughts on the new Senate report on 
uh, Trump and Russia. So, you know, there was the Mueller report. There's been a bunch of, there's been a bunch of reports on Trump and Russia. And I think this one was a Senate Intelligence Committee finally published their own study and found what I think we already knew, just continue to confirm what we already know. The Russians preferred Donald Trump in the last election and tried to help him. It's also clear from the Senate Intelligence Committee that people in the Trump campaign, not necessarily Donald Trump, I don't think we have enough evidence to say he did it, but people in the campaign knew they were trying that the Russians were trying to help and they were open to it. So my reaction to that is, I guess that's the same as it's always been, Chris. Uh, the Russians did try to affect the last election. They just didn't do a very good job. It's the Russians didn't cause Hillary Clinton to lose three cities by seventy-seven thousand votes. She lost Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia, and the suburbs surrounding by a total of seventy-seven thousand votes, and that's why she lost. The Russians did want to help Trump, but what what they what they ended up doing was producing some really low impact stuff that went out on Facebook and Twitter. They tried and they failed. It's not good that the that the Trump campaign was open to it. That's immoral and wrong. But it didn't affect the actual election. Now, we just saw an intelligence report. I guess that was three weeks ago. American intelligence agencies say that right now Russians are at it again. They're trying to influence Americans to vote for Trump or at least not vote for Biden. And the country of Iran and the country of China are trying to influence on Biden's behalf. This should not surprise any of us. Foreign governments try to affect outcomes of other governments. We do it all the time. Other countries do it all the time to us and to other places. I don't know if you know this, guys, but countries have interests, and they want their interests protected. And so while Trump is pursuing policy I don't agree with regarding China, I think it's ineffective with the tariffs and all that, it does hurt China, and so they are trying to influence against him. The Russians feel like Trump is friendly to their interests, and so they're trying to influence for him, and vice versa with Biden. This does not surprise us. Especially in Latin America, we've been doing this forever. So, to, to Chris, yeah, fine. The I saw I saw it. I'm not surprised, and it's not actually a problem. the The American people will choose their president, and it's up to the American people to be responsible with their vote. If a American voter is influenced by China or Russia, that's not China or Russia's fault. That's the American voters' fault. They need to grow up, be discerning about the information that they get. Next. From Brandon. He writes in and makes a very good point. I'm just going to steal it, but give him credit. You know, I, I played on the show a few weeks ago, Brandon Isaac. He was that player for the Orlando Magic. who He was the only NBA player not to wear Black Lives Matter shirt during that first week of the NBA reopening. He was the only NBA player not to kneel during the national anthem. And his reasoning was that he was essentially going to be identified in Christ only and not any other movement. And he did a great job articulating some gospel principles there. And Brandon had a great catch. That there were folks on the left and in secularism that really hated on Brandon Isaac, really went after him. But ultimately all he did was express his personal position about himself, about his his standards and his life and what he wants. And it was those same people 
who lauded Colin Kaepernick for what he did. And this is one of the fun parts about being me, is I respected both of them. I understood what Colin Kaepernick was trying to be and thought he should be free to do whatever he wants, even though he did a bad job of it. Now, I celebrate what Isaac did, but either one of them, I get to sit here and be consistent and say, yeah, fine, express yourself. Everybody should be free to express themselves. That's whatever. The, uh, but, but the people who celebrated Kaepernick, who go after Jonathan Isaac, are very hypocritical. Because it's not about the right to make a point. The, their bias is the point. If the point you're making is something they agree with, then you can basically do whatever you want. If the point you're making is something they disagree with, you can't say anything at all, and you should shut up and do what we want you to do. And that's leftism, right? That's the difference between leftism and liberalism. Leftism is, you will agree with us or you should be destroyed. And liberalism is, I don't agree with that, but whatever. That's, that's, how, it, that's how it should be for all of us. This reminds me, it's not in my notes, but let's, let's do this anyway. I made this point recently on a show, but then on my Facebook memories, one of my favorite features of Facebook, it showed up like three years ago. I made the point that the people who were most angry about Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem were the same people who were defending Confederate monuments and the Confederate flag. So they both love the stars and stripes of the United States of America. Also, I love the folks who rebelled against the stars and stripes. Listen, there's hypocrisy everywhere. It's on the left, it's on the right, it's in Christianity, it's in secularism. It is everywhere. The, the best thing for us to do is, hey, let's try really hard to be consistent people. That'd be, that'd be helpful. Uh, so thanks, Brandon, for that, uh, for that post. The, the last one I'm going to play for you is not from a listener. It is from my nephew. And he... Wanted, he he, he uh, heard a video on YouTube that I heard years ago. I actually do think I played this on the show like year one or, or year two. It's from Lutheran Satire, which is a, a decently well-trafficked YouTube channel. And they do some theology. This is, their, this is their most viewed video of all time. It's over a million views. This came out in 2013. And it's about the Trinity and the analogies around the Trinity. So I'm going to play a piece of it for you, but I, I also do have to stop and say, do you know how much fun it is to have nephews who ask theological questions? Have a, a 16 and 17-year-old young men to have those in my life that when I'm over at the house, sometimes they ask Bible things. That's what a, what a blessing it is to have. Uh, so I do want to play some of it for you, respond a little bit about this very hard doctrine. The doctrine of the Trinity is hard. And this is for Kobe, who never listens. So I think if I tell him I did what I wanted, he'll listen for an episode. So let's do that. Here is, uh, from Lutheran Satire, some of the bad analogies St. Patrick used to explain the Trinity. Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's mortalism, Patrick! What? Mortalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it! <laughs> Gosh, that is savage. Um, that is, that's good stuff. Uh, I, I grew up on that sometimes. 
Because good, good-natured people and good-hearted people were trying to explain a very difficult thing. The issue is it is so otherworldly, there actually aren't any good analogies, as we will continue to hear from this video. Get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star, and the light, and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick! Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. It's a good comical look here at these good ex explanations as to why these analogies have been tried forever, but they just don't work. I'm going to speed this up a little so we can get towards the end of it, and we'll take a break after this. But here's a couple more bad analogies for this very difficult thing to understand called the Trinity. Right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine, the Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Pat? <laughs> okay, so, uh, Kobe, the nephew, thanks for bringing it up. It is, it's good stuff out there from uh, Lutheran satire. I highly encourage going to, uh, to look at more of their stuff and maybe uh, learn uh, those analogies. Just uh, learn that those analogies don't work and then just be okay with it. It is unattainable, as a lot of our theology of God, theology itself, is unattainable, because of course that would be the case. That's us, the, it's us, the, the fish, trying to understand the world of a bird. This, this endless, um, and it's even further than that. Like, we're, we're in this world that we're in, and we, uh, we understand the world we're in. We don't understand otherworldly things. And I find that quite comforting. When we come back, I had another conversation with the boys, with the nephews, that I think is interesting for all of us regarding the new school they started. And I do want to talk about the some things from the conventions, maybe at least some of it, uh, and then some weird stuff going on with teachers right now. There's a lot of uh, teaching from home. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. most of you cannot tell, but over the last few weeks, I've been using piano covers of the new Taylor Swift album as bumper music as we come in and out of these segments. I always, I said back when the album came out, I would do a review of it. Here's the review. It's her third or fourth best album. It's really, really good. And the, the deeper meaning I come to basically at all Taylor Swift albums is there's another point of idolatry. This is, again, the, the, the nature of humanity is idolatry. We are looking for something to give us meaning. And so we open the show with those that have the idolatry of elections and politics, and that is what's going to give them meaning or safety or joy. The, the theme I pick up from Taylor Swift all the time is her idol, her God, is romantic love. If, the, if romantic love is something she's experiencing, she's okay. If, if not, she's not okay. And just being loved by some guy that's where happiness is derived. And which is a really actually 
toxic message. Nevertheless, that's a lot of good music. All right, let's continue. I got a, I had a cool moment. The elder of my two nephews, Caleb, he handed me a, a, an assignment for, from school this year. He had to choose from a, a really long list of options of books to read. And I don't know what they're going to have him do once he's read the book, but he wanted my advice on what to read. 20 or 25 different options. I was so pleased to see the options given to him. It took me back because I had read, I had read a lot of these. And it occurred to me, because they, they go to a Christian school, that this is not normal anymore. I talk to high school students regularly because of my job. I know this stuff. My job is in higher education, and so I talk to high school students. And I know what they're assigned to read, and it's often not these things. Sometimes it is. But these were the classics for a reason. And it, it takes me to a... It brought me to that theme that I've, I brought up a ton about our cultural fabric. Recently, I, I did on the show that sports and entertainment used to be part of the cultural fabric. And now that's getting taken from us. But the healthier cultural fabrics were our history, a shared history that we all venerated and respected George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, that we venerated the Constitution. We knew that it was a good document for governance. Like These are the things that we could share. It was our shared experience, our shared history. And that even then advanced to achievements. Like we, there was shared pride in being the first in flight or uh, some, some of the other inventions. Uh, ben Franklin brought pride because of making the bifocals and then that heater thing he made and discovering sort of electricity and Edison with the light bulb and Tesla with his inventions. And so there's the shared history. There's the shared documents. There was shared culture. Part of that, though, was the curriculum didn't change a ton over time in terms of terms of what we read. So people were reading Macbeth, or people were reading Nathaniel Hawthorne, people were reading Mark Twain, or in the, the or the British authors. And so you have uh, this the shared experience educationally, where parents would see, well, my kid is reading Alice in Wonderland. I remember that from. Carol? Is that who? I think that's who wrote that. Uh, but yeah, I'm right. And so, it, my, anyway, point there being, you had a shared experience and it, it helped build the cultural fabric. And so I, I look back on, oh, what's the other one I've talked about before? Oh yeah, well, the way the entertainment gets broken as a cultural fabric now is that we're also separated in how we're entertained, that we don't share anything. One of the ways we could do this is the literature that we read while in school. But in particular, here's where I'm headed. When I see the options for what he can read, they re-emphasize a principle that makes us us, that makes Western culture from the Reformation to the Enlightenment to now, it emphasizes one of the qualities of being a Westerner or being American. So it it lauds a quality that we all would say is good. I'll give you some examples. Robinson Crusoe was one of the options. Do you remember that? I think that was Daniel Defoe, maybe. But you have a sailor trapped on an island, uninhabited. And he's got to figure out a way to survive. 
maybe engineer a way of his own rescue. And the, the theme of that, no, of that novel and what it's trying to get the, the reader to get to is you must be self-reliant. Circumstances are going to be hard. Life is hard. Keep pushing. Use your wits. Use your courage to make a way for yourself. That's a very American idea. That, that's who we should be. And, and when you're reading that novel, if you get that point, I need to be someone who's self-reliant. I don't rely on, eventually, my, I stop relying on my parents. If you're a teenager reading this or you're listening to me now, I eventually, re, I'm relying on myself. It's a deep desire in me early in life. I want to get out of my parents' house, not because they're bad parents, but because I want to be a man or a woman and make my own way, make my own life. So I don't want to be dependent on the government. And when I see someone else that wants to be dependent on others instead of being self-reliant, taking care of themselves, I want to encourage them along to this American ideal of self-reliance. Robinson Crusoe does that. I would take you to the transcendentalists, the uh, Whitman, uh, Walt Whitman, the other two that I can't think of right now because I'm just having a, a brain block. But the guy that... Thoreau, that's who I'm thinking of, uh, Thoreau, Henry Thoreau, yeah, he wrote Walden. Anyway, that those guys were about individualism and self-reliance, mostly individualism. That's an American thing. It's an American ideal that we are connected to our families and our communities and our state and our country, but the individual is the building block. And so I've got to be responsible for me because I'm a building block of society and everyone has to be responsible for themselves. I saw on his list, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. This classic, maybe, I was going to say classic love story, maybe the greatest love story any of us have ever, ever read or seen, where there's the seminal conversation of the proud Mr. Darcy. That's why it's called Pride and Prejudice, for the two of them to make it work the pride and the prejudice, mostly his pride and her prejudice, but a little bit of both on each side, needed to be diminished. They have to drop their pride and their prejudice of each other and different social groups to make this thing work. And despite his pride, Darcy puts himself out there to, is her name Elizabeth? Yeah, I think so. He puts, puts puts himself out there saying against his own logic, against, I think he says even his own intelligence, against reason itself, He is saying to her, I love you. He confesses his love against all reason. Against all, oh yeah, he's against all judgment, maybe all against all better judgment. And her response is that she rejects his love because it's against his, against his judgment. But it reveals this reality, this, this very, this good, this good idea in in, in marriages, in the, in the romantic relationships that end up making up the building blocks of society, families, that for these things to be healthy, we're, we're going to have to love each other in spite of each other in some ways. Not because of each other, but in spite. In spite of what reason and intelligence might say, there's still something compelling here that we want to work and make it happen. And then also, that is this great Western idea. Drop your pride and drop your prejudices against others. Let, don't put them in their groups and assign them value by where they were born or how they were born. I'm going to come out of this book discussion for a second and take this over to the musical that came out on Disney Plus Hamilton that came out in 2015 or 16. And 
in real life, not just on the internet, where there's this very important conversation in one of the songs between Alexander Hamilton, this nothing and nobody, really, came from nothing, and he's talking to one of the, the sisters in this very prominent family, and she asks, where's your family from? He says, unimportant, but there's a million things I haven't done, and it goes on to this, this, these great lyrics. But th- that idea, well, what's your family? What's your pedigree? Well, it's an American idea to say it doesn't matter because I'm me. And we're for individualism and self-reliance. He had as one of his options, Caleb did, my nephew, to read Lord of the Flies, this really important book about human nature. We have these, these people, mostly young kids, or young people, on an, on an island together with no governance, no law enforcement, in that situation, in the state of nature, what is man? Inherently, is man cooperative? Is man helpful to one another? Are we, as people, what the American political left and secularists might say? That if we can do away with some structural biases and structural prejudices, most people are going to be good. And Lord of the Flies comes with this very compelling story and says, no, we're not. When people are left to their own devices, they are wicked, they're cruel, they're savage to one another. And it doesn't even take long. There's just young boys or teens on on this, I believe it was an island, if I remember correctly, abandoned to any kind of supervision, and they quickly descend into anarchy, and it's bad, and it's a statement about human nature, that we... We, as much as we are individuals, but we do need structures around us, families to inculcate values, religions and churches, and then and societies and laws, that these are, these are all good too, that we actually want to be a, a place of rule of law, not rule of people, or there can't be despots. And Lord of the Flies teaches that lesson to them, and we haven't been reading it, and so now we can get into some kind of, or at least in America, we haven't been reading it at large as you're coming through high school, you can start getting into the idea of man is inherently good instead of having this inculcated social fabric of letting the classic literature teach us about ourselves. That was the message of Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange. Another option on his book. Excuse me, an option on his list. That's a violent book, guys. But it has its theme. And the theme is very similar to... Uh, to Lord of the Flies. That, that there is this... this char- uh, was it Alex in the book? Alex is the main character? Where he really does despicable things. He has violent impulses. But when he's, he's free, we value freedom. And in that freedom, he does these, these terrible things. But he can also see it's, it's freedom that is what makes him human. He's separate from the other beings on this planet. He's separate from animals because he's free to make choices and he uses them to do violence. But that's what makes us us. It's what makes us distinct from the rest of creation is our cognizance, our ability to come up with values and morals and then follow them. And it's, it would be, so it's about agency and responsibility. Right with Robinson Crusoe, you're getting self-reliant. You're responsible for yourself. And the Lord of the Flies, hey, you've got a nature about you that's not going to be good. You're going to have to, and we're going to need laws and institutions to manage this 
human nature. And Clockwork Orange would say to you, you are responsible for your actions. And so even though your nature rages for your own your, your own passions, well, you must bridle your passions and you're responsible for the choices that you make. Wouldn't that be helpful to us now? No, very few people, especially my age and younger, think they're responsible for anything. It's always someone else's fault. You've probably seen that at work from some folks. Nothing is ever their fault. It's always somebody else should have done something different. And if it all comes down to sometimes my parents should have done something different. It's this life experience. I know one thing, I'm not responsible. That permeates the culture we're in now, but it used to not be part of American culture. People were responsible for their actions. And if we could come back around reading things like A Clockwork Orange, maybe we could inculcate the value and make it part of the cultural fabric that you are responsible for what you do. On his list was 1984, where you have this dystopian view of a government that's highly nationalistic, highly censorious, and with an incredible surveillance state. It feels, 1984, if he, if he decides to read that, it's going to feel like now, if he, if he knows what's going on in the world. We, we have a, a decent amount of internationalism here, like uh, being a citizen of the world. But we are in a, a nationalist period in American history. And then the censoriousness, the censorship, the double think, the, that words don't mean what they used to mean that we're making up entirely new language. You know, I would take you to the Democrat National Convention and the way that people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez were using words like white supremacy, that's not what that word means. Like, you're just making stuff up now. Colonization, talking about the colonization of math. I don't think you know what colonization means. They're making up their own realities and and then if you don't follow the realities you're a backward bigot and you must be destroyed that's a 1984 world the surveillance state not just from the government but how much we are watched how much data exists on us outside of the nsa cia fbi but then getting into what google and what facebook and AT&T and Verizon know about us? Do you recall that during the Bush administration, we found out AT&T and Verizon were giving over all kinds of data and phone records to the federal government? And so it's his book to make sure that we are skeptical of power. That is a fundamental American idea, that we follow the law, but here is this piece of literature as a warning. If governments get too much power... It will crush the human spirit. It will crush creativity. You won't, you won't get, uh, or even Brave New World in the same thing. You won't get the, the prosperity that you will if people are free. So value freedom. Fear a world where there is no freedom. On his list was Alice in Wonderland from Lewis Carroll. I'm almost positive it's Lewis Carroll. Where you have this really odd story. Certainly the movies all seemed like whoever did them was on some kind of narcotic when they made them. But when you you get into the actual message of what he's trying to do there, is he is showing a group of preteens and teenagers that this innocence with which you grew up, you're about to go through the process of adolescence in your teens where it's going to feel distorting, because that's what happens with Alice. She's distorted. She's twisted. 
And at the end of that, you'll recognize the world is not what you thought it was. Life's coming at you. The, the bills are coming. The responsibilities are coming. The people that you'll be responsible for are coming. The decisions are coming. And there's this world you'll walk through to lose that childhood innocence where everything is easy to go tackle the real world. Another fundamental American. You know, I think everything I'm telling you here is British literature, but these are, they're very popular in America and they have a very Western set of values that you're going to be growing up to be responsible for yourself and self-reliant. Don't forget, though, your nature is selfish, and so you're going to need institutions and governments and families to temper that, and then you're going to need to be responsible for, for it yourself as you grow up into adulthood. Don't we need that? That's what Alice in, Alice in Wonderland is about. It's about growing up. Peter Pan is about the same thing. It's about growing up in putting away childish things and... And, and moving on to tackle real life. That's fundamentally Western and particularly American. We're the ones that say, yeah, let's go across the Atlantic and let's start something for ourselves on that new plot of land. Oh, well, this plot of land's getting filled up with more people. Let's keep pushing west. Oh, here's a gigantic river. This is really wide and fast and, and moving fast. You think we can get over it? Yeah, let's figure it out. Now, now we're, we're here and there's like basically desert and prairie lands. Can we make it, make it across this? Yeah, let's take a shot. Oh, man. These are gigantic Rocky Mountains. I guess we're finished now. The American spirit says, nah, let's do that. Let's go around them. Let's go through them. Let's go over them. Let's go and push all the way to the Pacific because we are the tacklers of life and we need that spirit right now. We don't let life, hap- don't let life happen to us, but we go do it. We go tackle it. And that's what our, some cultural fabric, fabric needs. We need to be sharing in some of those educational things together where we have read the same things and enjoy those things and can get the morals of them. I ran all out of time. By get, I, I love literature, guys. And, and if you enjoyed that, I'd love to know it. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax, if you have comments. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.